Yeah, it is at 3pm in Salford here in the UK. 3pm, it's a bright and breezy autumnal Friday afternoon, the 25th of November 2022. It's me, it's not the typical Richie Allen show. I suppose it's the Richie Allen show. I'm going to be with you for somewhere between an hour and 90 minutes, probably closer to 90 minutes, for a bit of a chat. In lieu of the fact that I wasn't here on Monday, you can join in with me if you like. Nothing too heavy today, nothing too heavy, via my website, richieallen.co.uk. That is the best way to reach me during the programme. It's lovely to be with you this Friday. Uncensored, unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, it is myself that's in it. I've also put a couple of posts on Facebook, so I will keep an eye on those posts in case you leave comments there, okay? For me to read during the course of this broadcast. So you can do that way, or you can just go on the website and leave a comment for me there. Whichever way you want to do it, you're the boss this Friday afternoon. Yes, yes, yes. I've had a nice Friday thus far. I had a healing session earlier on. I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but I'll say it anyway. Thank you, Peter, for the healing session this morning. I felt incredibly relaxed afterwards. I really did. And uh, a bit uplifted as well. Have to say that because because it's true. Thank you, Peter. Um, so I missed the Iran-Wales game. I didn't miss it. I'm going to be honest. I've, I've not watched hardly any of the World Cup so far. I don't know about you. Are you paying attention to the World Cup in Qatar? We have talked about it, haven't we, on the show during the week, on account of, I suppose, all the furore around gay rights and around women's rights and around migrant workers. We have talked a little bit about it, but uh, not a great day for the Welsh, but I'll spare you, I'll say it myself, at least we made it, Richie, I know. The Republic of Ireland didn't make it, neither did Northern Ireland, sadly, so it's Wales there. And England. But Wales were beaten 2-0 by Iran today. Not good. But it doesn't mean the Welsh are gone. Things could still develop in their direction. They've got England on Tuesday. And if England beat the States tonight, because England played the US at 7pm UK time tonight, and if Wales can somehow beat England next Tuesday, there's a possibility they might scrape through. But this did amuse me. Ian Rush is a legendary football player who scored around 300 goals for Liverpool uh, and he scored many a goal for Wales too. Brilliant, brilliant player. I didn't like him an awful lot when I was a young boy because Liverpool were the best team in the world. But an amazing bloke, Ian Rush. But he doesn't um, think Arabs are too bright. I think he thinks Arabs are a bit thick. And also Asians as well. This amused me. But um, what what is done now by this bunch of players? What they have done is um, qualifying for the World Cup. Has put Wales on the world map. People in the Middle East and the Far East now know Wales is not in England. We are our own nation, and that's something to be proud of. Yeah, people in the Middle East and in the Far East. Ian Rush thinks you are thick. <laughs> what does he think? People in the Middle East that they're all Bedouins in the middle of nowhere. 
never seen an atlas or a world map or don't have any geopolitical knowledge, of course they know that Wales is its own country, Ian. Come on. Anyhow, that was before Wales were beaten by the Iranians, who did sing their national anthem today before the Wales game. They didn't sing it before they were beaten 6-2 by England. Now, you can draw two conclusions. Conclusion number one, this is the binary choice thing that I ordinarily criticise. Conclusion number one is that footballers are a superstitious lot. You know, some of them will, will, will dress themselves for their foosball matches in exactly the same way because they're superstitious. So some of them will put a left sock on before the right sock or they will only put their shirt on after they've left the dressing room. Cespians, some cespians that I know or knew or know um, have similar superstitions. Maybe in the off chance that Jean Ann Crowley is listening, she might share a superstition or two. So footballers are a superstitious lot. So having not sung the national anthem before the England game, and we were told that this was in protest at the treatment of young women in Iran who do not want to wear the hijab, they sang today. So you could say it's superstition, or they could hear the of the rifles... <laughs> Just when it came to play the music for the Iranian national anthem, they heard it and they sang. So it's one or two things. Either they were scared witless of the consequences of what would happen when they were flown home, or they're just a bunch of superstitious footballers. Who knows? What do you think, dear listener? Share your thoughts with me, your PPG. I'd love to hear from you this afternoon. It's coming up for six minutes past three. I didn't plan on starting with this one here, but I'll I'll mention it now because there's a good chance if I don't, I'll forget it. It wasn't in my little rundown. But France, the French, uh, the National Assembly in France, according to Paul Kirby for the BBC, has backed a bid to enshrine the right to abortion in the Constitution, prompted largely by increased restrictions elsewhere. So Paul Kirby is saying that the French National Assembly has voted by a pretty large majority to include a clause in the French Constitution guaranteeing the effectiveness and equal access to the right to end pregnancy voluntarily. And they're saying this is because of some of the things that have happened in the United States and in Poland. Last month, writes Kirby in the BBC website today, or on the BBC website, last month the upper house, the Senate, rejected a similar proposal and is thought unlikely to back the new amendment. So this hasn't yet happened in the United States to enshrine a woman's right to terminate in the Constitution. The BBC website says right-wing parties uh, which dominate the Senate argue, this is France, we're back to France again now, uh, argue that uh, abortion rights are not under threat in France. I've made a bags of that. I, I should probably stay away from Fridays and just keep to Monday to Thursdays. Let me explain, I've made a bags of that. No, last month the upper house, the Senate in France, not in America, in France, rejected this proposal. And it's probably not going to back this new amendment from France's National Assembly. Yes, because a vote that is approved in the Assembly must be approved then in the Senate in France. Yes, you understand now I made a complete bags of it, right? Uh, and right-wing parties dominate France's Senate, okay? 
and those parties argue that abortion rights are not under threat in France, that there isn't any need for it. Yeah, that's a good way to start completely messing up a story. Anyhow, yeah. So the French National Assembly wants to enshrine the right to abortion in the Constitution. The French Senate says, well, not really. There's no need for it because the right to terminate isn't really under threat. So that's a story developing. And I, I thought you might be interested in that. You might say, I'm not, not at all interested in that, Richie. And speaking of abortion, this is kind of heart-wrenching. You might be aware of Heidi Crowther. Heidi has Down syndrome and she's been um, uh, in the news for the better part of the last year or more um, about the Abortion Act here in the UK. She argued, did Heidi, who has Down syndrome, that the Abortion Act as it stands is is discriminatory against the against disabled people and living disabled people. Uh, Hayley Clark writing for the BBC News website, a woman with Down's syndrome has lost her appeal over a law that allows abortion up until birth for a fetus with the condition Down syndrome. That's right, as it stands, if mum finds out very late on in uh, the pregnancy that the baby has Down's syndrome, mum can have an abortion and Heidi Crowther said no that's wrong um, but she's lost her appeal today she's a very eloquent uh, young woman I'm not going to play a clip of her I don't have one to hand but uh, she said that they would keep fighting uh, her team and take the case to the Supreme Court and fight there under current legislation for England Wales and Scotland there is a 24 week time limit for abortion unless there is a substantial risk that if the child were born, it would suffer from such physical or mental abnormalities as to be seriously handicapped, which includes Down's syndrome. Heidi Crowther argues that the rules are discriminatory to people with Down's. She said the legislation doesn't respect my life, and uh, that's why she took the case to the High Court back in July of last year, but she's lost her appeal, you might find, um, that intro, I'm sure you will, and if you want to read more about that, go to the BBC website. But this grabbed me today, and I did write a, a little bit about it on richieallen.co.uk. And it's news that Westminster Council has decided to drop the term minority when referring to black, Asian and minority ethnic people. So this phrase came into the lexicon, didn't it? BAME. She's a BAME, he's a BAME person, black, Asian, minority, ethnic. But Westminster Council says BAME is not good enough anymore, neither is using the term minority. So believe it or not, Westminster Council from now on will refer to minorities as, wait for it, global majority. Yeah, it's run by the Labour Party, there are more Labour councillors on Westminster Council, hence it's Labour run. And uh, the authority said it's making the change to be more diverse and to be more inclusive. According to the Times, the Westminster Council, uh, the change is one of three commitments, three key commitments it was making to the anti-racism cause. It's going to remove pay gaps within the organisation by 2025. And it said that it made the change after questions were asked about how minorities should best be described, stemming from the death in 2020 of George Floyd in the US and the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement. So this is obviously lunacy. 
and it is, but it's real. And people say, why do you do talk radio programmes obsess over stuff like this? I don't obsess over it. The Richie Allen Show doesn't spend a lot of time on it. But the fact is, it's happening. They are going to stop referring to minorities in the UK as minorities and refer to them as global majorities. And this is happening. So, um, Imarn Ayton is a woman and she's an anti-racism campaigner. She tells Andrew Pierce of GB News Today just why she thinks this is a good thing. Imarn Ayton speaking on GB News. We'll start from BAME. Right? Yeah. I hate the term. Never, right. I didn't use it in 2020. Don't use it now. Right. Why don't so, you like it? The term. The term BAME or BME, ultimately, it puts black and Asian people into this homogeneous box in spite of the fact that we have different lived experiences. Mm. And then by excluding white people infers that white people, whiteness um, is superior. I don't think anybody is saying whiteness is superior. How could a person of colour, and I, I do mean this, this isn't sarcasm, if you happen to be black, if you happen to be Asian, if you happen to be from the Far East, if you happen to be from sub-Saharan Africa, if you happen to be from Pakistan, India, I don't know. Tell me how you might have a different lived experience to me in 2022 in light of the tyranny that we talk about on The Richie Allen Show. No, I, I do mean that. Explain to me how your lived experience is different. We're human beings, right? You and me. We are beings of energy and light and we are dealing with a tyranny that was unimaginable when we were a bit younger. How could you have a different lived experience? I shouldn't do this, but I will. It'll be a bit lazy if you refer to things like stop and search. Because I've been stopped when I lived in London many years ago. I was stopped a couple of times and asked about my my intentions. Where was I going and where was I coming from and stuff like that. So tell me about lived experience. Let's hear a bit more from Imarn Ayton, who says it's a good idea to drop the term minority or BAME and use global majority, even though blacks, Asians and other people of colour are the minority in the UK. And that all other ethnicities exist in the place of other, right? And then it also, again, infers inferiority, which has ultimately been used as leverage but, to perpetuate well, racism. It's, it's, no, it's no different to talking about the LGBT community. Are you, are you saying by using that phrase, that's implying... A gay people like me are inferior because we're not in the great homogenized heterosexual part. By of the excluding whites straight away, it infers that white is at the centre of society right. and all others okay. living in, live in, in this kind of other existence. And then, in terms of the global majority, which I am a mad fan of, right. she's delighted with global majority. But the fact is that white people remain the majority in the UK, the clear majority. Right. Anyway, it. It's great. Firstly, it's a refutable fact, okay? So black and Asian people are the global majority. Secondly... Yeah, yeah, but Westminster Council isn't a global thing. It isn't a global authority. It's a local authority. And in that part of London, despite London having a large minority ethnic community, white people are still the majority. So it makes no sense for Westminster Council to refer to constituents in Westminster as global majority. It's rather ridiculous, isn't it? It encompasses kind of numerous ethnicities in an inclusive way without stripping them of their 
like individual identities. And thirdly, it gets rid of the kind of uh, inferiority so, issue. But it's OK then for the white people to be a, an inferior minority in Westminster? Well, it's interesting that you say that because, again, one could argue that due to the fact that we've now left the European Union, it's probably more of a salient point that we use this type of language. Secondly... I would actually agree with you if it wasn't for the fact that black and brown people still have to contend with racism to this day. Mm. And so that's ultimately the biggest issue that we have to hold on to. And so, again, when we use the term uh, minority ethnic, it infers inferiority. And inferiority ultimately is the kind of foundation of racism. And that's why it's perpetuated. But so it doesn't infer inferiority. That's a subjective thing. That's basically that that is horror having an inferiority complex. It doesn't infer inferiority at all. It infers minority because blacks and Asians are minorities in the UK. It doesn't infer inferiority, does it? Am I missing something here? You need an alternative yeah, But the job of Westminster Council is to look after uh, local Westminster people, mm -hmm. tenants, uh, businesses. It's, the, it's, it's got the whole of left, the West End is part of Westminster Council. Let's just leave it there. You can't argue it's stupid. That might sound a tad unfair because I don't know very much about Imran Aiton, but her argument is ridiculous, isn't it? Westminster Council, eh? Let's refer to people of colour as the global majority. What nonsense. Hi to Sweeper, who says, I've heard that sometimes home teams in Africa pee in the opponent's changing rooms beforehand. Really? Where did you get that from? Do share a link. Uh, if you don't mind. I mean, that's taking gamesmanship to, well, pretty awful levels, isn't it? To piss in the opponent's dressing room before the game, to put them off, to annoy them. Might actually backfire on you, that. I think it, when I played football, and I wasn't a, I wasn't especially... I wasn't, a, I wasn't terrible. I was an average, a very average Sunday morning, Sunday league footballer. But if I thought that was going on, I'd want to hurt people once that whistle went, you know? But let's um, let, let's get some proof of that there, Sweeper. Benny Ramon says, Richie, I recently attended a Just Stop Oil online Zoom meeting entitled Why Climate Change is an LGBTQ plus issue. It was entitled Why Climate Change is an LGBTQ plus issue. I asked some polite questions and came away from it with a lot more questions than I originally started with. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Good evening, good afternoon to Gail, good afternoon to Peter, who says, Happy Friday, Richie. And he enjoyed listening to Max Egan on last night's programme. If you missed that or any programme this week, they are all available on richieallen.podomatic.com, but they'll be on iTunes, they'll be on Podbean, wherever you happen to get your podcasts from, you will find the Richie Allen Radio Show. That's what you. That's where that. Some sort of infarction of the brain there. This is the cure and Friday. I'm in love. Yes, wherever you happen to get your podcast, you will find the Richie Allen show at least for the time being. Anyway, it's uh, coming up for 19 and a half minutes past three this Friday. Lovely to be with you. Drive time from BBG Towers. The Cure and the brilliant Robert Smith and Friday I'm in Love on Friday's Richie Allen Show. How are you? Are you well? How you doing? How you doing? I'm doing okay. Looking forward to the weekend. Lovely and relaxed I am this afternoon. In fact, I've not felt better for a while. 
Hi to Lucy, 56, how you doing, Lucy? Hi to Scottish John, who says, Morning, Richie, cup of tea with the BBG. Can whack it, he says. Joe Public says, Don't see any reference to Africa in Sweeper's comments, Richie. Are you blind, mate? Sweeper typed, I've heard that sometimes home teams in Africa pee in the opponent's changing rooms beforehand. I think there's a reference to Africa there, Joe. Eh? You a bit dim, Joe. Yeah, are you awake? It's coming up for 23 minutes past three. Joe, I jest, I jest. Ant says, Richie, going back to your point on last night's programme, regarding people getting offended by you asking questions. It's not people getting offended by me asking questions as much, Ant. It's people getting offended by people and distancing themselves from people and criticising people. Because people see things differently than they do. That's what it is. And it's not a good place to be anyway. It doesn't matter. He says, um, it made me think of that ex-beauty pageant lady you had on. Forgot her name. Think it began with an S. You, she came on knowing you would give her a chasing. And she stood up to some tough questioning. It is a shame that Edwina Curry and John don't have the same minerals. Only ideologies and lies need protecting from questions. I thought Kate Chemerani was brilliant uh, to, to come on, knowing that I'd been critical of her behaviour, at least as I saw it. You see, everything ultimately does come down to one irrefutable fact, I think. It's just opinion. I had said some unkind things about her behaviour as I had perceived it. And I invited her on because I realised I was doing the same thing that I would accuse James O'Brien of doing. And I'm not James O'Brien. I'm not that sort of arsehole. I can be an arsehole, as my better half will tell you. We all can, really. But I'm not a hypocrite. And I thought, what's wrong with you? You would have previously invited Kate on. So I invited her on and she came on and she was incredibly gracious to come on. And she was also very good under some pretty robust... I mean, I definitely gave her a bit of a hard time, at least for the first 10, 15 minutes anyway. Yes, that's the way to do it. But before I asked her on, I did say, listen, we're going to have a good 40, 45 minutes. I'm not going to bring you on and just, you know, try to make an idiot out of you. I'll give you plenty of time to speak. That's a good point, Ant. You're quite right. David Icke used to often say to me, I used to say to David, you know... Fair play to you. You, you. I remember one night, I think it was 2016, I think, or 2017, 2016, he went on with Andrew Neil on the programme Neil used to present very late in the evenings for BBC. And I said to uh, old Ikey, uh, I said, why do you waste your time? They're a bunch of arseholes. I know you're not scared. I know that's not the issue or you're not nervous, but they're just going to try and embarrass you and jump all over you. And he said, I go on, he said, because the truth will stand up to any scrutiny. And if they want to behave like idiots and shout me down, I, I like to think that at least one or two people will see that, will realise what's going on, and they might go and find something that I've done online. And I thought, yes, what a very good way of putting it. The, the, the truth will stand up to, to any scrutiny. So yeah, good stuff. Now... It's 26 minutes past three, it is. And I want to talk to you a little bit about the Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan. I know, I know, it's not pleasant. But let's do it anyway for a few minutes. 
Now, I'm going to read you from Sky News website. We'll leave the BBC for a while. We'll spread ourselves around. Let's have a look at skynews.com. London's ultra-low emission zone, ULES, as it's known, is being expanded to cover the entire city, which the mayor says will tackle air pollution and congestion. Sadiq Khan has announced the change will come into effect on August 29th, 2023, and operate across all London boroughs. The zone will be 18 times larger than its current area. The boundary is currently the north and south circular roads. Transport for London estimates that on a typical day, about 160,000 cars and 42,000 vans will be liable for the daily fee of £12.50. Holy Jesus. Every day, every weekday, right? If you've got to drive in. But transport officials believe the expansion of the scheme, initially proposed back in May, will encourage motorists to change to vehicles with lower emissions or switch to public transport. Most diesel vehicles registered from 2016 and petrol models registered from 2006 are exempt. There is a different charge called the Low Emission Zone, LEZ, starting from £100 a day for heavier vehicles which do not meet certain emissions standards. A separate congestion charge costs £15 a day and covers central London. Now they're claiming that 5 million people will uh, be covered by this and therefore 5 million people in outer London will uh, be better off because there won't be so many uh, debts related to pollution. That's what they're saying, right? This is all about pollution and air quality and preventing people from dying. It's always about saving people from dying from some invisible risk. Let's hear the little pip squeak himself, the Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan. It, no, I won't. I was going to say, no, I'm not self-censoring, but I was going to say something rude. I won't, which I suppose is self-censoring. But no, I'll try to be kind today. Here's Sadiq Khan speaking to Sky News, explaining this madness. Yeah, well, listen, it wasn't an uh, easy decision. It was a tough decision, but it's the right decision. Here in our great city, every year, there are more than 4,000 premature deaths directly attributable to air pollution, to the air we breathe. That's an invisible killer. You can't see the nitrogen dioxide and the particulate matter, but it leads to children having stunted lungs forever and adults with a whole host of health issues from asthma to dementia, from cancer to heart disease. And we've seen uh, the world-leading ultra-low emission zone being transformative in central and inner London, reducing by half the toxic air in central London by further 20% in inner London. I think the right to breathe clean air is surely a right for everyone in London. And that's why from next August, with the support of a massive £110 million scrappage scheme, we'll be expanding ULES so all Londoners can breathe cleaner air. Keep the scrappage scheme in your mind for a moment. I think the presenter has a question for him. So £12.50 for those uh, with certain types of vehicle and then that's on top of the congestion charge. Pretty much is. So at the moment, uh, actually across... You see, he won't answer that. He's such a disgusting, vile, slimy little bastard, isn't he, Can? Um, just say yes. Just admit it's on top of the £15 congestion charge. Just admit it. 
that you're basically raping Londoners. Just say yes. Across the ULES area, more than 94% of vehicles are now compliant. It used to be only 39% of vehicles. So what our policy is leading to is a change in behaviour, fewer non-compliant vehicles and an improvement in air. But because I recognise uh, that if you're a low-income family, if you're a small business, if you're a charity, if you're a disabled Londoner, you may be driving a polluting vehicle and need help. I've also announced today a massive scrappy scheme, £110 million, which also enables you to retrofit your vehicle if you want to do so, uh, if you can't make the option of changing from your car to a cleaner vehicle. Yeah, the scrappage scheme is a nonsense. £110 million is basically a drop of water in the ocean. It won't be more than a few hundred pounds or maybe a thousand pounds for most people in return for giving up their car. The car they can afford, you see. The, like my, like my Nissan, not Nissan, like my Renault Megane estate, which I recently had to, uh, uh, had to uh, change, right? My, 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 my Renault Megane estate, which was nine, ten years old, they say, here, here's 900 or a thousand pounds for your Renault Megane estate. So we can scrap it. But then you can't afford another car. You just can't. You can't. You're not going to get very far with a thousand pounds in 2022 in this economic climate. They want us off the roads for. Sorry, I knocked myself off there. They want us off the roads forever and ever. And the other thing we've announced today is the biggest expansion of new bus routes ever in outer London, an additional million kilometres of new bus routes. Yeah, yeah. We've got money to give people to scrap their cars, not much money. We've got even more money to bring in thousands of new bus routes to keep you out of your cars. Sadiq Khan speaking to Sky. Let's hear more. But, but what I'm getting at, Mr Khan, is this is going to be very expensive, isn't it, for some people who... Yes, it is. ...whose vehicles don't comply and they're driving into London and they're going to get clobbered uh, with the congestion charge and the ULES charge now at a time uh, the worst cost of living crisis in living memory of many people can't afford their heating or indeed food. There's only a cost if your vehicle is non-compliant. That's why we've got the uh, scrappage scheme. But look, I accept. Uh, but, 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 there's only a cost if your vehicle isn't compliant. But from what I've been reading today, tens and tens of thousands of vehicles are have been declared to be non-compliant. So that's ultimately tens of thousands of people they want off the roads. And those people are driving older cars because they cannot afford... 15 or 16,000 pounds or 18,000 pounds to buy a brand new car. And second hand cars, uh, price wise, have gone through the roof. So even if you wanted to buy something from 2017 or 2018, you're still spending thousands and thousands because the prices have skyrocketed for second hand cars. So they're taking people off the roads permanently. It's what they're trying to do. That uh, the politically expedient decision would have been to kick the can down the road. But I think the costs of inaction we've seen far outweigh the costs of action. I think public health trumps political expediency. But to support families, to support businesses during the cost of living crisis, we have the uh, scrappy scheme, which will be helping people make the transition, a just transition. A just transition. One more question from the hapless interviewer. 
So, so what, what do you hope to raise from this? So what have you raised already from ULES charges and what do you hope to raise by expanding it? Now, she knows damn well he's not going to answer that. What do you hope to raise? How much money? And how much have you raised already? This is a slimy, slippery, snaky little backstart. He's not going to tell you. The answer is billions. And in the future, even more billions. While um, your human rights, your civil rights, your right to own your own vehicle, motor vehicle, and drive it around where you need to go, that right is just being trampled all over. How much have you made? How much will you make, Sadiq? Well, actually, the cost of Euros in the first few years outweighs the money you uh, bring in. I hate those bastards, you know. I hate them. And that's why I, I wish I could... How do we say this? Not possess, because possess is too creepy. Implant myself into the body? If I could, if my spirit could transpose, I don't know, into the bodies of some of these interviewers, just so I could tear this guy a new arsehole. Didn't ask you about the cost of it, and in terms of how much you might save, and the cost of it will be more until next year. How much money have you made from fleecing Londoners to this point? And how much do you expect to make in the next few years? But he doesn't answer. But any net proceeds we make, any, every penny uh, that's net proceeds in the surplus, is going to be invested in public transport. It's really important that we invest in public transport. It's simply not possible for us to encourage people to move away from vehicles unless we can make walking, cycling and public transport a better alternative. So, Encouraging people to walk away from their vehicles. That's what it's all about. So just to reassure those that still will be driving non-compliant vehicles, by the way, they themselves are breathing in the poison. Breathing in the poison they are. What poison? Let's uh, get another perspective on this and then we'll leave it there. It is a guy called Richard Tice, who at one time was involved with the Brexit party. You, Kippa, he's a friend of Nigel Farage's, Richard Tice. These days he works for talk radio. What does he say about this? He is basically attacking ordinary working people going to work in their vehicles and it's it's an assault. That's what it is. It is a financial assault mm. on ordinary people coming in from wherever you're coming from uh, to do a decent day's work, to earn some cash, to be able to pay your bills. Mm. He's got no idea how big an impact this will have mm. on people's it's lives. It's going to affect hundreds of thousands of people. And But here's the thing. For those who say, well, I don't live near London, that doesn't affect me. Yes, it will because it's coming to a city near you. Mm. We know that already Greater Manchester, they postponed their scheme, but yeah. they wanted to impose another similar level of madness. Right. And it's all supposedly because of air pollution. Mm. Look, I live in London, I walk in London, I drive in London, I cycle in London. I'm feeling fantastic. Mm. I'm feeling fine. You're looking pretty good too. If I'm That's very kind of you. It's a complete load of baloney. It is. Absolute baloney. It's the tragic case of the young girl who died, who for some reason a judge ruled had died as a result of her asthma uh, and the pollution that she lived around. That's so right. That was and an isolated case. It does not mean for a minute, for a nanosecond, that people are literally dropping dead from the pollution. No, it doesn't. And he was right, Richard Tice, to mention the fact very right to mention the fact that this is happening elsewhere in the country. I live in Salford and I pass from time to time roadside signage, signs which say that the route, the road is under evaluation for, for, for low emissions. They are evaluating the emissions. 
and are determining, they are evaluating whether or not they should reduce traffic on those roads or at least reduce older, uh, prohibit older cars or cars which are not compliant from driving in these areas. So this is happening up here as well. It's happening everywhere. Uh, the great Mark Windows, of course, the absolutely brilliant Mark Windows. Hasn't Mark said a thousand times? Hasn't he said a million times that this these are global policies and they are being rolled out locally through local authorities, not just here in the UK, but in Ireland and everywhere else. The time right now is... 19 and one half minutes to the top of the hour. I'll be back with you in about 40 seconds. Cold, seasonal flu and respiratory diseases. We all get them. Never before have your body's defences been under such constant attack. Now more than ever, it's essential to have a robust immune system. Inspired by the Zelenko Protocol, Immunex 365 is a unique formulation that combines effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2, as well as zinc and quercetin. Immunex 365 has been specifically formulated to maximise the effect of each ingredient giving your immune system an optimum boost. Take back your health with just two capsules of Immunex 365 every day. UK listeners of The Richie Allen Show can use their special 15% discount code RICHIEALLEN365 at checkout. Go to immunex365.co.uk to get yours now. Now with two-day track delivery free. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. Now, Scottish Al says the low emission zones will cut down congestion because a lot of people won't be able to drive their cars anymore. Soon, only the wealthy will be able to have their own transport. It also makes local authorities a lot of money by extracting more from the poorest in society, taking cash away from the poorest in society. When the low emission zone is implemented in Glasgow next year, I won't be able to drive into the city centre anymore. This is Agenda 2030 happening right before our eyes. And a lot of people still have no idea that this is happening, says Scottish Al, and he's right. Caroline Feely says, I do not think all the tradespeople can hop onto a bicycle with their tools, etc. Yes. Kiki says, uh, well, that's a follow-up. Oh, yeah, she says, electric vehicles are £25,000 upwards. And then asks, support small businesses. Uh, well, they systematically destroyed them under Convid, says Kiki. William says, Richie, it's a joy to hear the show today. I miss the old days when you did the videos with Hayden. Can you be a gent and bring them back? William, I kind of do enough, you know. I do four live radio shows a week and Sunday morning melodies. The radio shows during the week, they take hours to produce. I, I certainly wouldn't have the energy or the time to do a video show with Hayden, but um, I enjoyed doing those shows back in the day. They were great crack, but I couldn't do those today. Not at the moment, anyway. Herself says, Happy Black Friday, Richie. They do have it over here, by the way. It is designed to be the kickoff day of the Christmas shopping season. My buddy here says, There are few Black Friday sales this year because the margins on products are too small to discount them. Hearing you say Sadiq Khan makes me think of our friend Dean Henderson, the Khan family, being one of the bloodlines running the land of India. Yeah, but he's a Pakistani Brit, is Sadiq Khan, as it happens. Hi to Chris Sanders as well. Let's have music from David Bowie. David Bowie, it's a biscuit, it's a bar, it's a potato, it's a potato. 
David Bowie and changes when we come back. More news. More news analysis, if that's what we're calling it today. This Friday. Time coming up for 18 minutes to four, by the way. David Bowie and changes on Friday afternoon's Richie Allen show. Very good uh, point by Clifton. The majority of the public are lambs to the slaughter. How people cannot join the dots at this stage is laughable. Yes, that's bang on, Clifton. Adam Curtis made a series of films for the BBC about 20 years ago, nearly 20 years ago. The films were entitled, it was a three-part documentary series called The Power of Nightmares. I think you can still find it online, but it's the BBC has never run it again. And it's brilliant. The central, his central theory, his, his, the reason for making it, let's say, his thesis, yes, his thesis is that politicians at some point in the 20th century stopped or ceased to promise their would-be constituents, the electorate, promise, they stopped promising people um, happiness and dreams and a great life. You know, vote for me and my party. We'll give you a great life. We'll make sure you get a great job. I'll make sure that you have a great, uh, well-paying job with benefits and with security. I'll build parks for your children. I'll do all of these wonderful things. That's how it used to be. And Curtis noticed this. And he said that moved into politicians promising to keep us safe from phantom enemies, from enemies that were impossible to to see or to touch. That's what it was about. It was fantastic. And he said, in his opening to the, to the, to the films, he said, much of the fear they're peddling is imaginary. Much of the threats, many of the threats they promise to protect you from, the invisible ones, are imaginary. He said, they are a work of fiction. And he'd figured out, had Curtis, that ultimately the politicians were promising to protect you from imaginary threats, invisible threats, promising but in return for something. And the exchange was, the trade-off was, you gave up your freedom and you gave up responsibility for looking after yourself. You gave it over to, to the state. Now look, it's a flawed three-part documentary series in some parts, but it's excellent. And Clifton is right. I mean, they are doing terrible things to people, to people's welfare. They're doing terrible things to people's rights. They are reducing people's savings down to nothing through inflation. Again, all of it based on imaginary threats. You know, we, we shut down the economy to protect people from an imaginary threat. What was the imaginary threat? Well, the threat of COVID. Now, you can't see COVID. You have to take their word for it, that a pandemic is raging around the globe. It's happening, they, they, they tell you. Take our word for it, because experts have told us, we, are, we, we, we tell you now that you've got to stop working. Lock yourself into your homes. Don't hug granny in case you kill her. All to protect everybody from the threat. But the threat is not a visible one. It's not a tangible one. That's what they've done to people. Clifton is right. Um, they can't. People can't see 
this, but they've become conditioned into believing invisible threats are are almost existential threats to humanity. Things they can't see. Politicians and the media have convinced people that things they cannot see, cannot touch, things that haven't affected people, haven't even affected them, represent existential threats. Yes, that's what they've done. It's quite amazing, really. And Clifton is right. People are lambs to the slaughter to this. Because they've become conditioned to believing invisible threats. We saw this after the attacks on uh, September the 11th, which of course we know were not orchestrated by a man in a super cave in the Tora Bora uh, mountains in Afghanistan. We know that the intelligence agencies of the United States and others uh, colluded to blow up the World Trade Center buildings and and blow up the exterior of the Pentagon and blame it on radical Islamism. Now, I'm not saying that radical Islamism or radical Islamists don't exist. They do, but they are not an existential threat. And I knew this back in 2001, 2002. But all sorts of lies were told to people then. Just after the so-called attacks in New York, they started telling massive lies to people. Namely that there were terrorist sleeper cells in their communities. Not just in the United States, but around the world. This was bullshit. And Adam Curtis did a very good job back in 2003, 2004, when his film came out, of, of debunking this. Sleeper cells, you can't see them. There's a threat in your community, you can't see it. But in return for protecting you from it, just give us some of your, you know, hard-won freedoms. Most of what they say, phantom, invisible, can't see it, can't touch it. Climate change is a world-class example of this bullshit. There is a threat, and it is an existential threat to humanity. That the planet, if it, if it warms beyond 1.5 degrees in the next few years, well, we'll be underwater. And children will have no future. This is bullshit. People believe it because over the last 25 to 30 years, particularly over the last 25 to 30 years, they have been conditioned to believe in invisible enemies. Ones you can't see, touch, taste even, or smell. Amazing, isn't it? And it's powerful. It is. Clifton, good. Good stuff. It is exactly... Eight minutes to the top of the hour. Already, can you believe it? Who'd have thunk it? And I've only played a couple of tracks. I'm, I'm happy with that. Because I want to talk to you. Joe Public says, Your car will fail the MOT test if your emissions do not comply with the current regulations. That's right. I've changed my car recently because the Megane began to cause all sorts of trouble and it was getting too expensive to repair it. So I've got a 2018 model car now. Well, I kind of half have it. <laughs> it's on the never-never. As they say, I, I own about two-thirds of it. Do I? Just about, yeah, I think. And, uh, yeah. but uh, And that will be the last car I ever own, I presume. The way things are going. Let me talk a little bit about Elon Musk then, dear listener. Because Elon Musk has announced... The Twitter will offer a general amnesty. That's a quote, by the way. 
quote, general amnesty, end quote, to some suspended accounts. Now, he conducted a poll on his own account and he asked Twitter users whether accounts that hadn't broken the law or engaged in spamming but were banned, well, should they be restored, he asked his his followers. So according to the BBC, several accounts have already been, been restored, including that of former US President Donald Trump. Trump said uh, he doesn't see any particular reason why he should return to Twitter. He'll be back. Don't believe Trump. Um, every time he opens his mouth, lies vomit forth. That's just Trump, but then that's just politicians. Um, Musk tweeted, the people have spoken. Amnesty begins next week because 72% said yes. Let's restore the accounts of people who were banned even though they didn't break the law and they weren't spamming. And he also used a Latin phrase which translates to the voice of the people is the voice of God. No details on how the amnesty thing would work, but uh, there you go. The BBC use a tech guy regularly. His name is Will Guyatt. They use him all the time on BBC News 24. He's a censorious little prick. Have a listen to him talk about this. What does it mean, this amnesty? Let's hear BBC regular contributor Will Guyatt, a techie guy. That be Jesus. I pressed the wrong button, so I did. Let's try it again. Let's hear Will Guyatt, the BBC techie guy. The real trouble with this is Elon Musk is essentially giving an open invitation to anybody who hasn't broken the law or who hasn't caused Twitter real problems in uh, multiple reposts and spammy behaviour. That's thousands. Hang on a second. Did you say that there's a problem with inviting people to use a platform who haven't broken the law? Let's just get some clarity. Let's get some clarity. The real trouble with this is Elon Musk is essentially giving an open invitation to anybody who hasn't broken the law. But, but, but yeah, people who haven't broken the law should be allowed to use a social media platform, shouldn't they? Or who hasn't caused Twitter real problems in uh, multiple reposts and spammy behaviour. That's thousands and thousands of posts. Of- That's good though, isn't it, Will? It's good that he wants to return people to the platform who haven't broken the law and who haven't spammed people. ...of the same typical thing. So in short, he is essentially welcoming the very worst of the internet back onto his platform. What do you mean the worst of the internet? All of the people that have been removed for reasons, those who haven't, admittedly those who haven't broken actual laws. Yeah, the, the people who were removed, not for breaking laws, but because fucking crybabies like you didn't like what they said don't like their opinions, so you reported them to Twitter unmercifully until they got banned. Again, listen to this, dear listener, it's very important. Not broken any laws, but were kicked off. And this guy's upset that that might not happen again. This guy wants it to be pretty easy for him and snowflakes like him to report people who say things they don't agree with and get them kicked off. Bad, isn't it? But those who've been involved in trolling, uh, misinformation... Ah, misinformation. Uh, bad behaviour on the platform, they've all been removed, apart from a very small number of them, they've all been removed by the previous owners of Twitter for a reason. No, for, for terrible reasons. And not a small number. Most people were removed in the last three years because they said lockdowns are dangerous and worse than COVID. Vaccines that were rushed into production after a few weeks 
let alone a few months, uh, could be very dangerous and are probably unnecessary. Hundreds of thousands of people were kicked off of Twitter for offering that opinion, you see. That's really why people were kicked off, you know. They've been removed for breaking the rules. And he's inviting them back. It's just the very worst of the internet. The worst of the internet are being invited back. Now, listen, dear listener, I'm not naive. I don't believe that Musk is going to restore Twitter to some sort of free speech absolutist platform. Of course he's not. I'm not naive. Many people already feel that Twitter is a metaphorical sewer anyway due to its lack of ability to clean up on racial abuse, clean up on uh, all sorts of misbehaviour. And It's funny that, isn't it, Will, that people can go on Twitter and scream racial abuse at other people and yet they never get removed. But people who make points about vaccine injuries or vaccine deaths are immediately booted off. Strange that, isn't it? Isn't it? And this only makes it worse. It's a time at the World Cup and we're seeing uh, various statistics suggesting 99% of racial abuse in the World Cup. Yeah, who cares? She asks him, what's really going on? Like, why is Musk doing this? Why is Musk granting the amnesty? Well, it's very easy, actually, to get people taken off Twitter. People can report people uh, if behaviour is is breaking the rules. Uh, When Twitter had a lot of human beings involved in the process, we certainly found that the very worst people with misinformation... Uh, sharing, uh, you know, uh, trolling people, ganging up on people online. All of those kinds of people were actively being removed by Twitter. The challenge here is it seems that Elon Musk is now saying, yeah, I'm going to let that behaviour back on my platform. And you've already got people concerned about just how good Twitter is at cleaning up its act, cleaning up on misinformation, cleaning up on abuse. And he's essentially giving an open invite to people who haven't broken the law to go onto the platform. It's his platform. He can do what he wants with it. Inviting people who haven't broken the law to go on his platform and this guy doesn't like it. We are in trouble, aren't we? But I can't imagine the advertisers who have run away from Twitter in droves are going to be coming back to it as a result of this. And what snowflakes like this dickhead plan on doing is they plan on targeting companies, businesses, and anybody who might advertise with Twitter because Twitter has such a, an enormous volume of users and threatening these companies that they will destroy them Uh, you know, destroy their businesses, that they will encourage people not to use their businesses if they advertise with Twitter. This is a little tyrant. Eventually the geeks, did somebody say it one time or another? Did somebody say it'll be eventually the geeks, not the Greeks? Did Jesus say in the life of Brian, um, how blessed are the geeks because they will inherit the earth? Is that what he said, the geeks? Because that's what's happening, isn't it? To some degree anyway. Dreadful, dreadful little tyrant, little Nazi. Oh, it's a terrible thing that people who haven't broken the law should be allowed to speak on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. But again, then, why is he doing it? Is he? Is it because? So, is it because he thought it was too easy for people to get banned before? I mean, what's going on? What's his thinking in, in it, saying it, they can all come back? It's the ultimate internet billionaire's plaything. He's purchased Twitter. He doesn't know what he wants to do with it. He was forced to buy it by the courts in Delaware for all intents and purposes after he decided he didn't want it. What he's now essentially doing is he's either going to burn it to the ground and it will die. Doubtful. Uh, Doubtful he's going to burn it to the ground. Let's leave Will Guyot there. Little Nazi. I mean, that's just Nazism. Like, I like reporting people who say things I don't agree with. People who haven't broken the law. People who are not breaking the law by saying what what they said, effectively. Their tweet isn't 
unlawful in any way. It's not insightful, but I don't like it. Uh, I declare it to be harmful to to me because I'm a sensitive snowflake and therefore that person should be banned. Wow. Yeah. Musk is not going to do anything with Twitter to advance the cause of free speech. No chance. Not in a million years. Not in a million years. Thank you for your messages, by the way. Go to richieallen.co.uk and comment live and leave me a message. I will read them as we go along. It's now exactly one and a half minutes past four o'clock this Friday afternoon, the 25th of November. So we're kind of, it's November 25th. We're kind of a month away from Christmas Day. Is that something you look forward to? I do. I look forward to it every year. Not as much as I did when I was obviously a wee, 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 wee boy, but a little bit. And John Barnes, the former Liverpool winger, an England winger, of course he started at Watford, is very, very eloquent, John. He's a great speaker. I don't always agree with him. Um, Unsurprisingly, I suppose, we don't always agree with anyone, do we? we? We generally find things with people that even people we like that we disagree uh, with them on, but but he's very very eloquent. He's very well spoken. Is John on on a number of issues? It's a good thing because you don't often associate footballers, footballers from the eighties in particular, um, as. Uh, but of course, that's a stupid stereotype. You know, uh, of course, I'm well aware of that. But John's a good lad. I like listening to him. He's challenging, and I liked the fact that during the Black Lives Matter stuff and all that, you know, he was saying things that were a bit against the old grey in there. Anyway, he was on Good Morning Britain today to talk about the World Cup in Qatar and the protests against the Qatari regime and all of that. And he said one or two interesting things. So let's have a listen. It's only a short clip. John Barnes, football legend, speaking on Good Morning Britain today. What do you think now? Have you changed your mind about what we might view Qatar and Qataris like? I've also heard Boris Johnson call Muslim women letterboxes. So how are we viewed? That's what we have to think about. So, of course, this Qatari minister may have said what he said, but what the Qatar World Cup is doing, it's inviting everybody to come, but just be respectful of our culture, of our religion, and of our laws. They have relaxed a lot of the laws. Look at the drinking laws. You can drink, but the fact that you now can't drink in a stadium for 90 minutes, we're trying to beat them with a stick. As much as they've relaxed those drinking laws, can we not do without alcohol for 90 minutes? It turns out you can drink if you're very rich and you're in a corporate hospitality box, <laughs> well, but not if you're those Welsh fans who are out no. in their fans well, this to be honest, it's a bit similar when you go to a lot of the Premier League matches, whereby they can't afford to be drinking, but in the corporate mm-hmm. boxes of some clubs, they can. And secondly, you look at situations like, for example, the Crusader um, debate outfits, as to whether the outfits. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know that the way that Crusaders are viewed in that yeah. part of the world, it's very similar if somebody wasn't coming to a football match and wear a Nazi uniform. Do you think, though... That's interesting, that. Some England fans were wearing the old Crusader uniforms, the old knights. And in some areas around the stadiums in Qatar, they were told to remove the Crusader uniforms. And John Barnes says... The fans should be respectful of Qatar, not wear the Crusader uniforms because they're not appreciated there in the same way we wouldn't appreciate if some bloke turned up to Anfield or Old Trafford wearing a Nazi uniform. It's an interesting perspective. John, I mean, because the expectation, the hope is that by spreading football to all the different corners of the world, you grow the game. That's that's the reason they've got it there. Do you think that people's attitude towards Qatar and the Middle East will change through the World Cup? Because what we have seen is the restrictions, not just from Qatar, but FIFA placing restrictions on whether you can wear the One Love armband. FIFA have placed restrictions that the Qataris are only implementing. Mm -hmm. They're just very strict about implementing. Yeah. 
Do you think that is going to change people's perspective? Football can't change people's perspective. Life changes your perspective. Is football changing perspective here because the players took a knee? No, you have to look at it from an institutional point of view, from a societal point of view, from a moral, intellectual point of view, from a colonial point of view in terms of what we believe and others believe. But I believe that if you go to somebody's country because we're saying the same thing for people who come here who may not believe in our laws or believe that they're right, they have to respect our laws while they're here. Mm. So if we don't want to respect their laws, do not go. If footballers don't feel or they feel they want to do something, be it an armband, be it outspoken and they're not allowed to, make a stand and say, I'm not going because I really believe in this. But they really don't. I love that, but they really don't. I wonder, was he listening to the Richie Allen show during the week? Because that's the point I made. They really don't. But you're not allowed not to care these days. These days, saying that you don't care or that you don't have an opinion is forbidden. You must have an opinion and you must say that you care. And, and, and that's why you have this crap with footballers saying that they are showing solidarity with gays and lesbians in Qatar. It's because they feel pressured into doing it. But, but their heart isn't in it because they genu- genuinely couldn't care less, no more than I could. And by saying you don't care, it doesn't mean that you agree with the regime. I don't agree with the regime. People should be allowed to marry who, whoever they want to marry. It's as simple as that. If a man falls in love with a man, he should be allowed to marry that man if he likes. It's none of my business. I have no right to tell him he shouldn't do that or he shouldn't bequeath his uh, property or his possessions to his um, partner. And all that stuff we've talked about before. But people should have the right to say they don't give a shite. Don't care. But you can't do that today. Interesting stuff from John Barnes. Hey, listen, if you ever wanted to know, by the way, how popular uh, the television show Dallas, which was made by Lorimar at Dallas. Remember Dallas with Barbara Bell Geddes and Larry Hagman. If you ever needed to know just how huge it was in the 1980s, John Barnes is an example. Um, John's nickname when he played football for Watford and for Liverpool was Digger, after the character Digger Barnes, the sworn enemy of Jock Ewing. Did you watch Dallas? He did back in the day. Oh yeah, I watched it. I watched every single episode of it ever. Um, So Jock Ewing, yes, sworn enemy of Digger Barnes. Digger, the oil barons basically. And the oil barons ball. So John was known as Digger because his surname is Barnes. So you had Cliff Barnes, who was Digger's son, played by Ken Kercheval, the sworn enemy of J.R. Ewing, played by Larry Hagman, of course. It was brilliant, Dallas, wasn't it? Wasn't it? You know, you know, in France, the children weren't allowed to watch it. It was considered too racy. Dallas. Starring Barbara Bel Geddes. I can't think off the top of my head the name of the actor who played Jock Ewing. Was he surname Davis or something? Jock Ewing, yeah. Do you remember when they they left the season, one of the series, on the cliffhanger of Who Shot J.R.? Do you remember that? They left it hanging in the air at the end of one season. And they filmed about six or seven different possible resolutions to who shot JR. And they kept it an incredible secret. Do you remember watching the news bulletins when the tapes were flown in to the BBC in London? And they were flown into RTE in Dublin. Do you remember that? The, in, in other words, the next season's first episode, which would reveal who shot JR. Remember that? Amazing, really, how a television show captured the 
imagination of people around the world. I think we should watch a bit of Dallas. But seeing as this is radio and we can't watch it, I think we should listen to a bit of Dallas. Here is an amazingly iconic scene. J.R. Ewing, son of Jock, as I mentioned earlier on, and the man who heads up Ewing Oil. Well, he's discovered that Cliff Barnes, Digger's son has been sleeping with Sue Ellen, played by Linda Gray. And he makes his way over to Cliff Barnes' office to confront him about the infidelity. It's a bit of... Well, it's an acting masterclass, really. Let's hear Cliff Barnes and J.R. Ewing. I'll send him in. In comes J.R. Barnes? Barnes? I should have killed you out in that field when I had a chance. Well, I guess not even you are capable of cold-blooded murder. No, I wasn't then. Of course, that's where I found out about the cheap little romance you're having with my wife. <laughs> that's the way you look at it, huh? The cheap little romance you're having with my wife. It's the only way to look at it. You're a cheap little man, Barnes. With a little man's dreams. Cheap little man. Now, Sue Ellen, on the other hand, is a very expensive lady. Too expensive for a cheap little man like you. Always comes down to that with you, right? Money? You gonna offer to buy me off? I'm not gonna have to buy you out. You're gonna call it off all by yourself. Sue Ellen's carrying my baby. She's gonna be my wife. The child's gonna be raised mine. Well, that Cliff's baby. That child may very well be yours. On the other hand, it may be mine. Either way, it's going to be raised to Ewing. I think the best thing for you to do is just to back off. You think the, the scriptwriters must have won the Emmy that year, right? Because how do you think Jock Ewing would feel about your wife carrying my baby? Oh, it's going to be difficult. There's no question about that. But after a while, my dad and everybody else is going to blame the whole thing on that tramp I married. <laughs> that tramp he married. Especially if she ends up with you. Just another case of a Barnes picking up Ewing leftovers. You are the most... Now you just hang on. Like I said, it's going to be embarrassing for me for a while. But I got a lot of money. And a lot of power. And I'll get over it. You'll get over it. The best television show of all time. More Dallas. This time, next Friday. Exactly five minutes past four. Next Friday. I'll bring you the rest of that. No, I won't. It's 11 minutes past uh, four, by the way. It's Friday's Richie Allen Show. It's uh, good to be with you. We'll do another 15 minutes or thereabouts. As I promised I would do, about 90 minutes, and then I'll scarper off into the weekend. I'll leg it off into the weekend. Did you see on richieallen.co.uk today that scientists are claiming to have designed a vaccine which protects against all 20 known strains of flu? They're calling it a universal flu vaccine. We've designed a vaccine that protects against all 20 known strains of flu. This is funny because the flu jab is offered to people every year in the UK and elsewhere in the world, of course, and it never works. Ah, that's a bit of an exaggeration. It often does not work. More often than not, it doesn't work. In fact, some estimates claim that it only works about 7% of the time. Because they have to guess at which strain of flu is going to be prevalent in the winter. They get it wrong all the time. So here we go. Surprise, surprise, as Scylla would say or sing. 
They've now developed one that protects against all 20 known strains of flu. You will not be surprised to learn that it is an mRNA vaccine or a messenger ribonucleic acid vaccine. And it's about ready to go, but not this winter, apparently. It might be next year. Uh, The Journal of Science says, or Dr. Scott Hensley says, who is behind, one of the scientists behind this, the idea here is to have a vaccine that will give people a baseline level of immune memory to diverse flu strains. And then Dr. Scott Hensley went on to say that as a result of their research, there will be far less disease and death when the next flu pandemic occurs. But that's an inversion, isn't it? If you heard yesterday's Richie Allen show, you will have heard Kay Birdie from Sky News speaking with a Dr. David Lloyd. Uh, and he confirmed to Kay Birdie after she said to him, people are much, much, much sicker, aren't they, than they ordinarily are in the winter. Like previous winters, people were sick with the respiratory illnesses, but they seem to be really sick now. And David Lloyd, the GP in London, confirmed, yes, people really are. They've got lots of things going on at the moment, Kay. The jabs, the jabs, the jabs, the M or N A jabs. What do you think? Yes, universal flu jab. They'll be putting pressure on people to take it, no doubt, next year. Uh, two women who claim they were abused by Jeffrey Epstein are suing two big banks, namely J.P. Morgan Chase and Deutsche Bank. The women claim that the banks ignored red flags about Jeffrey Epstein and the banks should have known, in fact, probably did know, that he was trafficking girls. And they say the banks even benefited financially from the crimes of Epstein. According to the BBC, wait for the laugh, the disgraced financier took his own life in a prison cell while awaiting trial on sex trafficking charges. He didn't, he was murdered. You know that and I know that. Or you could say assassinated. Uh, Both lawsuits were filed in New York on Thursday as class action cases. They were brought by lawyers who have represented dozens of Epstein's accusers. The women want financial damages. They are not named, the two women. Uh, The filings first reported by the Wall Street Journal newspaper have been seen by the BBC. According to the claims against J.P. Morgan Chase, one woman described as a former ballet dancer was abused by Epstein and associates between 2006 and 2013. Who are the associates? What are their names? That's what I want to know. The suit alleges that J.P. Morgan knew its accounts were being used for trafficking because of the identity of the individuals withdrawing large sums of cash, as well as Epstein's well-documented criminal history. J.P. Morgan Chase declined to comment when the BBC approached it. Said, uh, no comment, thanks. J.P. Morgan Chase, its spokespeople said, no comment, we've got nothing to say. Uh, They've also filed suit against Deutsche Bank. It's a separate uh, lawsuit there. But uh, Deutsche Bank said, uh, we believe this claim lacks merit and we will present our arguments in a court of law. Who are the associates, dear listener? Who flew on the Lolita Express with Jeffrey Epstein? We know that several former presidents of the USA, two most famously, were pretty close to Jeffrey Epstein. I'm thinking of Bill Clinton and, of course, Donald J. Trump. Who were the associates these women named? Will we ever know their names? Probably not. 
Steve says, I imagine such people as on that radio show uh, believe that they are protecting the weak. I think he's referring to the people who are happy to see people kicked off of social media platforms for not breaking the law. I imagine such people as on that show believe they are protecting the weak, which is a laudable motive. It would be more laudable if the people criticised were physically harming people in real life. It can be an effective tactic to apply social pressure by a large number of people to inhibit such a physical aggressor. I haven't a clue what you meant there, Steve, but thanks anyway. I kind of have to. <laughs> Lucy says, Wednesday nights in the 80s consisted of Corey, Dallas and Mash in our house. Yeah. Bit of Corey, bit of Ken, Deirdre, Mike Baldwin, onto a bit of Dallas, and then onto Alan Alda and Mash. Scottish John says, Richie, I told Jim Mars when I met him, uh, a caller to Clive Bull's phone-in quiz on LBC was asked who was shot in Dallas on November 22nd, 1963. Our answer was J.R. Ewing. Is that true, John? <laughs> I love those crazy answers in quiz shows. Uh, who was shot in Dallas on November 22nd, 1963? Buzz! J.R. Ewing. <clears throat> no, it wasn't. It was John F. Kennedy, in fact. One point away, one point away. Yes, there's some wonderful answers given to Family Fortunes host Les Dennis over the years. Genuine answers. You know Family Fortunes? You've got two families on either side of the studio and uh, for each round of the show, one member of each family comes up to Les Dennis and they are asked a question based on a survey. So we asked 100 people, name a dangerous race. And one, one woman buzzed in, buzz, the Arabs. And Les Dennis fell around the place laughing. No, no, no. We were thinking the Paris-Dakar rally, maybe. Maybe. Uh, the Grand National, maybe, as a dangerous race. Not the Arabs, love. <laughs> you racist bitch. <laughs> Get off my quiz show, you racist biddy. <laughs> maybe a dangerous race, the Arabs. <laughs> the Arabs. Wow. Caroline asked, who didn't sleep with Sue Ellen? Sue Ellen. Linda Gray. I might save a great story for Christmas time about when I met Linda Gray many, many years ago, 25 years ago now, I think. I might save that lovely story for Christmas, for the Christmas Day Melody Programme, which will broadcast for the third, is it the third Christmas Day Melody Programmes uh, program this year? I think it might be the third one. Brian asks, did you hear Canada has just passed an amendment to a bill which outlaws almost all semi-automatic firearms. I didn't, Brian. I know that the Canadians or the Canadian legislators have wanted to do that, but I didn't know they'd passed it. But thank you for letting me know. It's exactly 20 minutes past four, dear listener, just in case you need to be somewhere. Yes, Twitter bans. Twitter bans. What else have I got to tell you today? I have lots to tell you, really. And I'm running out of time. Um, this week, you might remember, a Conservative Party member of Parliament, a Conservative MP. Which guy was it? I should tell you who it was, really, if I'm going to be, you know, professional. Uh, a Conservative Party MP asked Rishi Sunak during Prime Minister's questions, would he consider prescribing <laughs> Just Stop Oil? It was Gareth Johnson, if my memory serves. Was it Gareth Johnson, the MP? During Prime Minister's questions, he asked Rishi Sunak, will you ban Just Stop Oil? 
make it illegal to be a member of Just Stop Oil because they are a terrorist group. I think we can hear the question. Now, Mr. Speaker, last month, Just Stop Oil clambered up the Dartford crossing, causing chaos for days. They then attacked artworks, the M25, and anything else to cause misery and mayhem. These people are not protesters, they are criminals. Will the Prime Minister, therefore, consider making Just Stop Oil a prescribed organisation so that they can be treated as the criminal organisation they actually are? Yeah, yeah. So Sunak on Wednesday said, uh, well, he he didn't really answer it. He just said he was going to give the police more power to stop them from blocking highways and throwing paint at art art in, in galleries and stuff like that, right? That's what he said. Um, but on the Jeremy Vine Channel 5 programme, a, a Just Stop Oil activist named Samuel Johnson was invited on to answer the question, basically, are you, in fact, a terrorist? Here's a Just Stop Oil activist. I'm doing this because, because my nephew, he's seven years old and I absolutely love him to bits. Uh... I'm trying to protect protect his childhood, his his life, and all his hopes and dreams. And at the moment, we have a corrupt, suicidal government that is is destroying everything. But so Sam, that's, what that's about what about Mike's comment? And actually, I, I think a lot of people might agree with Mike that actually you could be putting lives at risk with the traffic jams that you're causing. And therefore, if you're putting lives at risk, you're a terrorist. Well, the destruction is serious. We're not denying that, but we are in a serious situation. We're in a very serious situation. Uh, was it last week in COP? Antonio Guterres says we're on a, a highway to climate hell with our foot on the accelerator. Climate to highway hell. Yeah, he's doing it for the little kids because they have no future and all of that jazz. We'll hear a lot more of that, I think, in the coming weeks. What do you think, dear listener? We're going to hear an awful lot about climate change in the coming weeks and in the coming months. Uh, while I'm here, uh, let me do this. Uh, I'll be back with you and then I want to talk to you about Sunday Morning Melodies briefly. Colds, seasonal flu and respiratory diseases, a nuisance, but we all get them. Now more than ever, it is essential to have a robust immune system. Inspired by the Zelenko Protocol, Immunex 365 is a unique formulation that combines effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2, as well as zinc and quercetin. Take back your health with just two capsules of Immunex 365 every day. As a special launch offer to UK listeners of The Richie Allen Show, you will receive a discount of 15% by using the code RichieAllen365 at checkout. Go to immunex365.co.uk to get yours now. And with free two-day track delivery. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support The Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. And join me on Sunday morning, please, at 10 o'clock UK time. Sunday morning melodies with the BBG on Yes, indeed, Sunday at 10 o'clock UK time. Thanks to Stephen Cronin for your nice words, Stephen. Nice treat for a Friday. I'm just about to wrap it up, in fact. It's been a... It's been a nice 90 minutes, or nearly 90 minutes. I've enjoyed it myself. Thanks for listening to it. Like I said, all of the programmes are archived on richieallen.podomatic.com. 
but your usual podcast provider. You should be able to find it there as well. Speaking of Dallas, Gail says, those were the days of the Poison Dwarf. Lucy, Charlene Tilton. Yes, indeed, I remember. Met Linda Gray. I might tell that story on Christmas Day. It's a really, it's a, it's a good anecdote, I think. It's a good story. Al says, the new flu jab is merely one more snake oil for the gullible masses. That's Al's opinion. Thanks, Al, uh, for that. And uh, that's just kind of just about it, really, then, for today. I've not got much else to, uh, to to tell you, really. I said I'd keep it fairly light and not too heavy, which I did. I'm just very quickly checking the news wires to see if something has happened that I might have missed. Because this happened previously, a couple of years ago. I was doing a, a show on a Friday, and I wasn't spending a lot of time looking at the websites or the wires and there was one of these crazy terrorist attacks, I remember. So I'm chatting away with you. And just at the end of it, I, I'd, uh, I'd missed it completely. And at the, I'd been broadcasting live and I hadn't even mentioned it. And at the end of this show, I, I, I thought, Jesus. <laughs> You're a bit of an idiot, Richie. You missed the entire thing. You missed the... There's a big event unfolding, so so I, I've, I've had a quick look. I've not missed anything. I didn't mention the nurses' strike today because I didn't really want to get into that today. You know that nurses in this country will be holding um, the biggest strike in their history in this country uh, in December, on the 15th and the 20th of December. So that's made the news today. Obviously, it's been given extensive coverage by the BBC and Sky and the radio programmes as well. It strikes everywhere at the moment. Transport strikes, Royal Mail strikes. Listen, I'm a trade unionist. Uh, The only thing we have is uh, the ability to withdraw our labour in the struggle for better pay and conditions. So, of course, I support the trade unions. I respect you if you don't, but I do, and I always will be a trade unionist at heart. I'm going to shut up now and leave you. Thanks for spending some of your Friday afternoon with me. I hope you'll join me on Monday, uh, on Sunday excuse me, at 10 o'clock UK time, where uh, we'll have a bit of a... It's for me. It's just the most relaxing two hours of the entire week. That Sunday morning melodies, songs of yesteryear, and some interesting stories as well. Closing out Friday's program with some Robbie Williams. At least I hope I am. Indeed, I am. Had to press it twice. Enjoy your weekend, and I hope I see you on Sunday. Thanks for today. Bye now. Come on, hold my hand.